Would you join me in prayer? Father, as we turn now to your word, we ask humbly, dependently, for the blessing of your spirit. Would you lead us? Would you guide us um, as we come to see Jesus? In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are continuing this morning in this Advent season. Uh, it's a season when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. But in this season, we're not merely celebrating, remembering Jesus' birthday. We're celebrating the incarnation, that the Word became flesh, that, that God became man without ceasing to become God. It's astounding, really. And it has eternity-shaping implications for us all. Jesus came to forgive sinners. But to be an atoning sacrifice, that is to take our sin on himself. He had to become like us. And so to drive that point home, that Jesus became like us, the scriptures emphasize that he came from us. So Matthew and Luke both provide the genealogies of Jesus. We've been making our way through Matthew's genealogy. We pick back up this morning in verses 4 through the first part of verse 5. And Ram, the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. It's a list of names. And we can be tempted to see those names, not be able to pronounce them, and just skip past them. But those names represent stories. There are stories behind the names, and those stories form the grand story, the story of Jesus. Four of those names, as we've been talking about in Matthew, are, uh, are, are set apart. It's almost as if the Lord, as he is authoring this word, took his, his yellow highlighter marker and just highlighted over those four names. But he did something more radical than take out a highlighter pen. He named women. You see, that wasn't done in those Days. And so in naming these women, the Lord is he's, he's shining a spotlight on those women and saying, pay attention. They matter. Their stories matter because they uniquely add something to the grand story that is the story of Jesus. Now, that has been the, the guiding um, light behind our Advent series this year as we highlight these stories. But I also want us to think for a moment about the place of story 
in our lives. We need to acknowledge the powerful place that stories hold for us. This, this Thanksgiving, um, our family of five gathered. We got some time away just for the five of us. And, and at one point, we gathered around uh, the computer screen and we watched a uh, slideshow video. It's one that we've watched a lot of times. It, it's, a, it's a video that is from a particular summer in our family's past. And we've watched this video countless times because it tells the story of our family. It reminds us as we watch this story where we've been, who we are, what we hold dear. Stories do that, don't they? They are culture-shaping. That's true for us as individuals. It's true for us as families. It's true for us as a nation. And it is certainly true for us as the church of Jesus Christ. And so Christmas is a great time to share stories. So can I tell you a family story? A great story. A true story. This is Rahab's story in Joshua chapter 2. If you'll pardon me if I put my readers on. This is a long passage. <laughs> I'm getting close to 50. It's all right. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you. Who entered your house, for they have come to search out all of the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I did not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof. And hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in, the, in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, Man, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Seas before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the Lord your God. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, 
and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And she let them down by a rope through the window. For her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills where the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned and the Pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. This is the word of the Lord. we consider this passage, I want us to think about a few questions. First, what is this story? Next, who is this woman? And then, what does it matter to us? As we consider this story, first and foremost, we need to know that this is the story of Jesus. Now, I know when, when you hear this is the story of Jesus, your mind goes to the passages later in Matthew and in Luke, the ones that we often read at Christmas time, the birth narratives, and those, yes, are the stories that tell of his birth. But this story is the prequel. Prequels seem to be the thing these days. Maybe it started with Star Wars. Star Wars was the first movie I ever went to see in the movie theater. <laughs> I was a young, young, young boy at the time. And I thought I was watching the beginning of the story. But it turns out, 20 years later, <laughs> the beginning of the story came out. What I went to see in that first movie was actually episode four. <laughs> episode one the prequel came out later. And the prequel that we see in Star Wars and all prequels, what do they do? They, they round out the characters. We, those characters that may have been introduced in Star Wars, we, we learned more about their histories in the prequels. We learned more about the plot line. When we watch the prequel, we learn more about the original. Started reading your Bible in Matthew, well, first of all, you would have been confused by all those names. You would have wondered who were these 
So we go back. We go back to the prequel to learn more about them, but more importantly, to learn more about Jesus' story. This episode that we read from Joshua chapter 2, it tells us about the Israelites entering into the promised land. The promised land was occupied. God had promised it, but they were going to have to fight for it. Now, I have to be careful because there's a long rabbit trail I could go down with that simple truth right there. God promised it, but they would have to fight for it. Just marinate on that a little later and see it in your own lives. But here, as they're preparing to fight for the land that God had promised them, Joshua, now the leader of the Israelites... After Moses' death, he sent two spies into the land on a reconnaissance mission. Now, 40 years earlier, Moses had sent 12 men into the land to spy it out. But those spies saw giants in the land, and those giants were larger in their eyes than was their God. Fear took over. And so God raised up a new generation to inherit the land that he had promised. The land itself is a character in this prequel. The land points to a deeper fulfillment, one that we partially experience now and will and we'll more fully experience in the not yet of the new heavens and the new earth. That too is part of Jesus' story one for a later day. Here, in this episode, the spies enter into the land. And they begin with Jericho to prepare for the first battle. Now, if you were the one writing this story, where would you send those spies? God is the author. And God sent the spies to Rahab. So if that is some of the background in this story, who is this woman? Well, I know it was a long passage. But if you were following along with me, you would have heard that before we were given her name, we were told who she was, that she is a prostitute. And some are tempted to soft-pedal that some translations like to footnote it and at the bottom of the footnote say that she was also an innkeeper they they can't take that that phrase that term that god would use a prostitute and so they try and call her an innkeeper but the new testament makes it clear what type of inn she was keeping there are no two ways around it woman family tree of the Lord Jesus Christ was a prostitute. Does it bother you that God chose a prostitute to deliver his people and to further the line of Jesus? Why? What if she were here today in our midst Worshiping with us, 
even for some of us, the vulgarity of her sin is larger in our eyes than the reality of our own. Rahab was a woman with a past. But this is no accidental encounter. God is sovereign. He is the author. And he has written an awesome tale. An awesome tale as he provides for the spies that would enter into the land. And as he provides for Rahab. God brought the men to her for a purpose. Her history provided a perfect protection for these men. But in this story that he is writing, he does not leave her where he found her. He has been preparing her heart. The prostitute confessed Yahweh. is a story that emphasizes not merely what Rahab has been. It also tells who she is now. When she confessed the Lord, she is confessing Yahweh. When you read in the Old Testament, Lord in all capital letters, that is the way that the translators have chosen to present the name Yahweh. Yahweh is the covenantal name of the Lord. It is the name by which God is known among His covenantal people. It is His personal name that He gave to the people of Israel so that they could know Him, could speak with Him. Verse 9. Rahab I know that the Lord has given you the land. She's acknowledging his power and his plan. In verse 10, in calling on his name Yahweh, she acknowledges his former work of redemption in Egypt. In verse 11, in confessing his name, she declares him to be the one true God of heaven and earth, the former prostitute has come to know Yahweh. And so, she acted out of that knowledge by hiding the spies. Some of us get distracted at this point. If we weren't distracted by her being a prostitute, we get distracted by what happens next. But don't miss the bigger Story. There is most certainly an act of deception going on here. But Jericho is a battlefield. There's a war taking place here. And this act of deception is an act of war. And this war is a just war. We wrestle with whether or not taking life in War, a just war, is equivalent to murder. And Scripture, we believe, affirms that that answer is no. Most certainly, the deception that takes place, not only with Rahab, but with the spies' act of coming in 
is a form of espionage. This deception does not break the ninth commandment. Scripture interprets Scripture. The New Testament looks back on Rahab's actions and says that it confirms her faith. Hebrews 11, 31 mentions Rahab as one of only two women listed in what we affectionately call the hall of faith. <laughs> the word celebrates those saints of old who, who lived lives of faith. And then the very next book of the Bible, James chapter 2, verse 25, Rahab is mentioned alongside of Abraham. Her actions were confirmation of her faith. That is what the New Testament says about this act of deception that takes place in Joshua chapter 2. Rahab, through her deception, hid the spies and is used by the Lord to help usher his people into the promised land. And through her faith, she was used to usher her earthly family, her, her father, her mother, her brothers, her sister, into at least the family of Israel, into earthly protection. We don't know if this extended family ever confessed Yahweh like Rahab did, but the Lord used her in some sense as a covenantal head for her family, to protect that family. That's the way God works through the covenantal family, then and now. Ultimately, Rahab was folded into the family of God. Joshua 6, 17 and 25 tell us the rest of the story that Rahab was embraced as an Israelite. That's who this woman is in the confines of Joshua. But why does that matter? What does it matter to you and me? We've said that stories matter because they are culture-shaping for our families, for, for our churches. The story of Rahab is woven throughout Scripture. It's not a chance encounter we see her story intermingled throughout this grand narrative that the Lord has written. And stories matter to God. Through his story, he's shaping our family identity. So what we see here is culture shaping for us. Who we are what we are to hold dear. And so first I want us to see that Rahab, what did she do that is so culture-shaping for us? Well, she boldly claimed the name of God. We, as a people of God, are to boldly claim the name of our God. The story is at least partially telling us that we are to be a people who do not shrink back. Bold. But in doing 
doing so and boldly claiming the name of, of our God, we are also to be a people who fight for God's people. We see that in Rahab's story, how she fought for the spies who, who were her new people. Our culture, the family of God, is meant to be one in which we take care of our own. <laughs> Even when it's costly. How else is this story meant to be culture shaping? How about this one? Try this one on for size. This story is meant to shape our culture such that we see the church of Jesus Christ is to protect the place of the prostitute. It means that we're to be a culture that embraces the reality that Jesus has come to redeem messy sinners. Like me. And like you. tells us that Rahab's story matters. Not primarily because of what we learn from Rahab, but because her story points to our Savior. Each of these prequel stories that we're exploring this Advent season uniquely points to Jesus, both in his birth and in his death. How does Rahab's story point to Jesus' birth? Well, we read it in Matthew. We see it in Joshua. Joshua 6 tells us that Rahab lived in Israel, but more than that, Rahab married a man of the tribe of Judah named Salmon. And they had a son who had a son who had a son, who had a son named David. Rahab is the great-great-grandmother of King David, and when you hear the stories in the Old Testament of King David, the Lord is taking our eyes and casting them forward to the greater David, beyond the king of Israel to the king of kings. This story of Rahab is powerful because it is fundamental to the larger story, the grand narrative of Scripture that was outlined for us first in Genesis 3.15. There in Genesis 3.15, God told us what our story was to be, that there would be battles to fight, that there would be battles between the, the offspring of the woman the people of God and the people of the enemy. But Genesis 3.15 also went on to tell us that there would one day be a singular male offspring of the woman. And he would crush the head of the serpent. That he would be the redeemer who would purchase redemption for God's people at the cost of his own life. Genesis 3.15 tells us what the storyline is to be. That the storyline is to be a family line. A genealogy that would be played out over time. Promised in Genesis, recounted in Matthew, and illustrated for us here in Joshua. 
Rahab's story is a story that points us to the birth of Jesus Christ because it is the story of God preserving the line through Rahab. But don't miss this. Rahab's story is also a pointer to Jesus' death. Because not only is it the story of God preserving the line through Rahab, it's also an illustration of God preserving Rahab through the line. Do you remember the instructions that the spies gave to Rahab? told her to gather her family together in the room. Her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and do not let them leave. And, and then said, take that scarlet cord and, and hang it out the window. Because on the night that we come to destroy the city, we will see that scarlet cord and we will pass over you and your family. Did you see it? The cord is not the instrument of redemption. It is not. It's a sign. And that sign draws our attention backward to another night when the Lord God told His people to take not a scarlet cord but the blood of a lamb and wipe it over the doorposts to keep their families inside because when that, on that night the destroyer would come, he would see the blood, the scarlet blood, and would pass over their house. But in looking back to the Passover, we look forward to the true Passover lamb, Jesus, the one whom all of these stories pointed to. Jesus is the one who would shed his blood as a substitute for his beloved. He is the one who would make the sacrifice willingly and who would graciously offer it to all who would receive it by faith alone. Why do we look to Rahab's story at Christmas? Because our story points to Jesus, both in his birth and in his death. And because her story is our story. Brothers and sisters, the line of Christ is messy. Our lives are messy. But the line of Christ is real. There are, no doubt, heroic stories among the messiness, and let's celebrate those. Let's learn from them because those stories shape our cultural identity, but let's never forget or confuse the fact that Jesus is the hero. And so in this Christmas season and in every season after, to Him alone be the glory. Lord Jesus, we, we learn more about You from the stories that we read. We learn more about us from the stories that we read because they all point us to why you came, 
to save messy sinners like us. This season, as we celebrate your birth, let us not forget your purpose, your death. And would you give us hearts of faith to receive that birth and death of Jesus. In Christ's name we pray.